Shono. Hi, sweetie. So today is a big day for you, for us. Yes, it is. On the 27th of March, 2020. Right. Amazing. And tell us why. Um, you have a big anniversary today. Yeah, it's a big anniversary. Yeah. It's a really, really happy day for me. Oh, it is? Yeah, I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, a happy day for me, too, for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because uh, on March 27th, 1966... I wasn't even born yet. You weren't even here yet, right? I wasn't even conceived yet. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm way ahead of you, babe. <laughs> you always are. And the... Uh, well, at any rate, just about this time of day. Really? Just about this kind of weather, actually. Nice, bright blue sky. Wow. And uh, uh, I, I fell off a big rock. I fell 150 feet. And mm. I'm still here talking about it. Yeah. Which is, uh, not many people get to say that. So give me the $5 version. <laughs> the $5 version, huh? <laughs> Well, not the 10 cent version. Okay. Um, well, you know, I lived in Seattle, Washington. And uh, how old were you? I was 23. Mm. And I spent every weekend uh, possible out in the mountains mm. climbing. Uh, you know, I was never, I was just strictly an amateur climber, but. I mean, I climbed Mount Rainier uh, several times, Mount St. Helens when it still was Mount St. Helens before it blew up. Yeah. Um, I climbed Mount Olympus over in the uh, near the coast, and the Mount Baker. Yeah. So all of the big peaks, and mm. also I did a lot of rock climbing. Yeah. And that particular day, March 27th, we were supposed to go up to, I was going with some people who have actually forgotten who they all were, mm. but we were going up to Snoqualmie Pass and we were gonna just go up a mountain. And when we got there, it was snowing uh, and not, not a nice dry snow. It mm. was huge flakes and very, very wet. They, you just got got wet the second they came in contact with you. Yeah. And so we decided just to keep going over to eastern Washington where it was drier. Yeah. And um, we went to a place called the Peshastan Pinnacles. Mm. And when we got there, there was a, another group at the base of uh, the rocks saying they'd never been there before and could we could we pair up and climb with them? Did you know this group? Uh, I, I think I may have known uh, a couple of people very casually in the group. Oh. But uh, in any case, I, I paired up with a fellow and we started up, up a, a climb called Dinosaur Tower. Okay. Which is a dinosaur tower is a big slab of sandstone that's somewhat tilted. So it's it's pretty vertical, but uh, what you do, you climb up one side of it, and then you then you traverse across the top of it. Yeah. 
and then you repel off the backside. Okay. And repel means that you you just uh, basically slide down the rope. Right. In a in a very controlled way. Right. And repelling is is really easy. You've got total control, and uh, it's just that you know you're a, a few feet off the ground. Yeah. And. Well, you're kind of loose in the air, right? Yeah. Like, all the way. Well, you're on the rope. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I've been loose in the air, and that's different. <laughs> so, so in any case, we paired up, and and um, you know, in my advanced state of age today, if I was to be doing this with somebody, I would be, I would. I would think, oh, this person is, uh, who knows, maybe they've never been on a rock before. Mm. I wasn't in that advanced state of age. Yeah. I was, uh, this fella that I was paired with was very, very slow. Mm. And and I, I'm not sure he'd ever been on a rock of any oh. size before. Wow. And so he was really slow, and I was young, and... and uh, and by that time, I'd done a quite a, a fair amount of rock climbing, so I was fairly fast. Yeah. And so we got up to the top, we traversed across, and it's a 150-foot repel down to the ground. Right. And I know it's a 150-foot repel because you came to the end of a 150-foot rope Yeah. right when you got to the ground. Yeah. And... And so, in in any case, he took one look over the edge on the backside, and it's 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 mostly free air going down the backside. You're because of the tilt of the slab, and and he said, "I can't do this." And uh, we have to climb back down. Mm. So climbing down is really much harder than climbing up. I can imagine. Because you can't see where you're going. Correct, I mean, correct. You're, uh, and so we had a discussion about that, which probably left me even more frustrated. I don't remember really what went on in that part. Yeah, yeah. But we started back down. We started across the traverse, so effectively we're still 150 feet in the air. Mm. And... And I, uh, I'm, he's doing all the belaying and I'm doing all of the leads. Mm. And, and I'm making... So you're climbing down first. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. except at this point we're just going across That's the true. top of this big rock. I see, right, right. And so I'm making sure he's on, you know, that he's securely attached. He's, I'm, 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 we're using my very best piton. Yeah. In those days, you used to have these things called pitons that you you drove into cracks in the rock with a hammer. Yeah. Uh, blessedly, those days are gone. Mm. Uh, but at any rate, I I had I had good uh, some good pitons that were were made by Chernard, uh, and I had some pretty cheap. Pitons that I've been carried around for a long time mm. that uh, were not that great. So I I put a really good piton in uh, for him, 
And then I started, I put a piton in for myself and, and, uh, and I'm ready to start across the traverse. Well, he's not on belay. And mm. I, I don't remember what was going on or whether we even talked about it, but mm. there's 150 feet of, of loose rope between us. Mm. And I'm not quite sure what he was doing, mm. but I clipped my rope into my, or I clipped the rope into my piton. Mm. And I and there the next move was to step down I don't, a couple of feet maybe to a little ledge that was about four inches wide to, that I could go across. Right. So a four inch lead ledge sounds. I mean that's that's kind of a super highway if you're mm. a rock climber. Mm. So I thought well I'll just get down on the ledge before, you know. Yeah and be ready when he gets on belay. Yeah. Well, I put my full weight on my piton. Yeah. I was just hanging onto the rope. To, I was just gonna lower myself to the ledge. And it, and of course, it came out. Mm. So there I was, 150 feet of rope between us. Yeah. And, and uh, that was kind of that. And, uh, that moment changed your life. That was a pretty big change in my lifestyle at the time, yeah. Yeah. It was a huge change. Yeah. And, um... I'm a visual person and I try to picture this whole event. And when it comes to the last part, my, I think my mind just blanks out. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I just cannot imagine it. Um, and I, maybe I don't want to, but um, I think I think it's really really strange that I keep remembering what you wrote to me in a letter uh, when we were getting to know each other. When you're climbing, your life is in the other person's hands. Absolutely. You two are together, and you had written me in a letter that. Uh, you had a dream um, that you were climbing with me, mm -hmm. and that... Those are my best dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that you, uh, the, the wheelchairs were kind of forgotten, and you went on to say that when you climb with each other, you're really trusting the other person. Right. And the fact that you had a dream with me uh, meant something very significant. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that was, uh, nobody had written anything like it to me before. And um, I, I really, um, I think as, as I hear the story more and more, I think I understand how important that dream was. So you were, you fell. I fell. Yeah. And uh, uh, another fella actually saw me fall. Yeah. And he said his first thought was, George dropped his shirt. Oh my God. Well, I, I did drop my shirt, it's just I was in it. Oh my God. And, and uh, when everything came to a stop, I was hanging a few feet above the ground. Yeah. And 
but there's um, and then I don't I don't remember yeah I remember seeing the ambulance in the orchard below the rocks and um, I, I remember just a few things but uh, but in any case I'm I'm very thankful for a, a lot of reasons yeah uh, one is of course I'm still alive and as I've thought about it if the ground had been 20 feet further away, I, I would have pulled the belayer, the other fellow, I, w I would have yanked him off the rock. I mean, the reason I didn't do that is, you know, the rope, the whole idea of a climbing rope is it's made to stretch. It's mm. sort of a super big rubber mm. band. Mm. And the purpose of the stretch is to absorb the energy of the fall in a, in a kind of a gradual way. Right. But, right. but but once you reach the end of that stretch, you, you know all the energy is going to go back up the rope to the right. other person. So right. if I if the ground would have been further away, yeah, I would have come to the end of the stretch and I would have disjanked him right off. Yeah, and we would have both been two splats on the sandstone. Yeah, and so I'm very thankful that didn't happen. Yeah. Oh. Uh, on the other hand, if the ground had been 20 feet closer, yeah. I, I would have simply hit the ground and that would have been that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it would have killed me. Yeah. As, it, as it was, it almost killed me. Mm -hmm. But it was just the distance that I, I kind of came to the near the end of the rope. Yeah. I mean, I got some stretch out of the rope, so that must have slowed me down some. And I apparently hit the ground on my feet, mm. which messed up all of my lower joints, which is why I have to lay down. I mean, why I have to sit more or less laying down. Life is so random. Life is very random. Yeah. You, you and I meeting was a huge random event. So, well, another, uh, another story. Yeah, another story. And along with your anniversary, um, I think there's something going on this year that we should talk about. Oh, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Guess how many years I've been in a I've been a disabled person. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm, ooh, embarrassingly. Do you know my age? <laughs> well, I'd have to figure it out. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I'll help you out. <laughs> I've been disabled for about 46 years. Okay. 46 years. Yeah. Oh, so, oh that's pretty neat. So if you do simple arithmetic. Yeah. What is 46 plus 54? That, that's 100 years, babe. Oh, so. Amazing. So yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, congratulations to us. Well, um, it's... It's, 100th anniversary. Yeah, it's our 100 uh, years of, of, of being, being in wheelchairs. Different people than we were when we were born. Exactly. We were not born disabled, although we know many people who were. Right. But we um, had a traumatic event in our lives, and that changed our lives. Um, and I um, I did a strange thing to to mark the hundred years. Yeah, I ordered a cake. 
<laughs> I mean, it seems is, is really... It a is it a gluten-free cake? I think so. Oh, I mean, it's really okay. a crazy thing because the world is falling apart. There's a pandemic raging out in the world. Although if you look out of our window right now, it's a magical, magical day. Um, yeah. There are birds in the bird bath and you cannot imagine the suffering that's going on and I'm not sure why I ordered a cake, but I, I did. Excellent. <laughs> um, so we have to mark these hundred years and we um, wow. We are, we are. You've, you've got a birthday of your own coming up here really shortly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's not get into that. Um, I think I, I'm really uh, glad that we are telling this story and, and, and saving it um, because I think, I think our personal stories are really important mm -hmm. and I'm um, I'm really curious how linear your story is when you tell this story it's very very it's this happened oh. and this happened yeah you know and it's somehow really clear um, and you don't anymore have contact with the people you were with so, so you're the, really the only container for the story. Right, and I, I think we should remember that old man's memories are mostly lies. So. <laughs> uh, well, th when you tell the story, it seems yeah. very, very clear. You mm -hmm. know, it seems like it's just uh, burnt into your, your body. And mm. um, whereas when I tell my story, it feels really muddled. Uh -huh. um, because I was seven years old when I got sick with the polio virus. The year was, I believe it was the fall of 1974. And I think we have to remember that India was a very young country uh, in 1974. Um, and it was barely even what um, 30 years old, right? not, not even. Well, not even 30 years uh, old. The British had left in 1947, and the polio virus uh, was, was prevalent in a way that uh, other virus, I don't, the, I, think, I don't think the country remembers um, other viruses before it, uh, because, especially because kids were affected. Right. And I'm not sure how I got the vaccine. You usually get the vaccine when you're an infant. And I know that in later years, there were groups of nurses who would go to people's neighborhoods and vaccinate them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if I went to the doctors or if somebody came to our house, but I'm pretty sure I was vaccinated because mm -hmm. my family was... Uh, very, very aware and, and, and believe that, um, you know, uh, science uh, played a huge role in how, how uh, the environment and, and people live together. So when I got sick with the virus, 
at the age of seven, the doctors couldn't really figure out like, okay, so if I was vaccinated, why did you still get the disease? Mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't no, think we've don't, ever figured that out. Right, I don't think you're ever gonna know, sweetie. Yeah. And recently I was, uh, I had the opportunity to do a project with the Salk Institute, mm -hmm. uh, with a lab at the Salk Institute, and they study motor neurons, uh, and they study uh, diseases of the spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And I had the privilege of working with a wonderful group of students, PhD students, and ultimately realized how the polio virus actually affects the motor neuron. Um, and the polio virus goes into the body by the digestive system. Uh, so you somehow ingest the virus, right. and then it makes its way to the spinal cord where it latches on to a motor neuron. Right. And a motor neuron is really the one that is responsible for the function of your uh, muscles. Mm -hmm. um, I think my story is also the story of my family and how the family was completely bewildered when this happened, especially my parents were in deep shock that this had happened to their oldest daughter. And they, we lived in a small town, we didn't live in a big city. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was really hard to figure out like, what's, what, is, what is the next step? And how is this gonna be treated? And in fact, I had polio in my, um, I mean, I, I lost function in my legs, my trunk, and even my right hand. Mm -hmm. and, and, but fortunately, in a month or so, my right hand recovered. Mm -hmm. So people thought, like, maybe I'll recover, mm -hmm. right. you know? But right. I, think, I, think, uh, I think that was, you know, quickly um, replaced by the, by the very stark fact that I'm, I was going to need a major rehab and I was going to need another way to live again and, right. and to function again. Uh, and I owe my rehab and really a new life to the Children's Orthopedic Hospital in Mumbai um, and, and, and to the doctors and the nurses and the orderlies and the radiologists, the physical therapists, I mean, everybody who, who works in hospitals and, and, and a huge shout out to everybody who's working today to uh, combat the virus, uh, COVID-19, trying to take care of people and doing their best and working long hours and working very hard. So a huge shout out a to them. A huge shout out. Yeah. And I, I wanna just say that I owe my life uh, to the University of Washington Hospital. Yeah. Which uh, had just set up a brand new spinal cord rehabilitation center, you know, right about when I did this. Yeah. And I was blessed enough to get into this, and I was in the hospital for nine months, which I thought was totally appropriate because I was being reborn. You were. And... You were a different person. I was a, a very different 
It was a very different existence, and I did, I did become a different person. I probably grew up more in that nine months than I had in the. In so the I'm curious. Do you do you access the old George at all? Do you do you oh. have memories? Do you have? I know you talk about your high school buddies and um, your life in West Virginia, but somehow do you have any access um, to the person you were before? Oh, well, <laughs> hmm, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that person, I don't know, and if I did have the, what I thought was accessed, I wouldn't trust my memories. I mean, uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean I've got memories. I've got lots of, of yeah. wonderful memories. And photographs. Got, and some photographs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I don't have I, a single memory of what I was like before seven. Right. I'm, I mean, people tell me things that I was like this, and I did this, and I used to right. love to dance, but... I don't remember that. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think anybody would remember life before seven or much of it. Mm -hmm. I can remember a few things. Yeah. I mean, my dad took me flying when I was uh, the age of four or five. Yeah. And um, and and um, so I pretty vividly remember that. Yeah. Partly because he went up and did aerobatics, and yeah, <clears throat> when you're in a spin in a little airplane, and it was like, I mean, you're pointed straight at the ground, and the airplane is turning around, but you don't have a sense of the airplane turning around at all. You think the Earth is. You turning? think the Earth is turning mm. right below you, and mm. of course, as if say a five-year-old. Yeah. I mean that was. That was real enough that I can still remember it pretty vividly. Yeah. So that learning how to fly helped you. I think it helped me in many ways. Yeah. I mean, can you talk about that a bit? Sure. I I think in. I think, you know, my dad went through a a training program right before World War II yeah. where the government was trying to, they realized that if they did get in a war, they had almost no pilots mm. and they had no flight instructors. Right. So they, they set up training programs to teach people how to fly. Mm. And my dad mm. was part of that. Mm. And, and so he did learn to fly and, and, um, but one of the first things, one of the big things I can remember him talking about is your brain is five minutes ahead of the airplane. Mm. You know, I and, see. And you need to be aware of what, what can go, you know, if something is going to go wrong, what are you going to do? Like in chess, almost. Yeah, maybe like in chess, yeah. it, except it really focuses your attention quite a bit, yeah. if, if the engine quits, where are you going? I see, uh-huh. You know, and, and that mentality, I think, prevails. I know in a commercial flight, they always know what the nearest airport is. Right. I mean, even if you're going to LA to New York, mm. they, they know every 
where they're going to go if they lose an engine right. or if they have to make any sort of emergency. Yeah. And also another good thing about that, that flying taught me was that the, um, was if something does go wrong, I mean, you've thought out what you're going to do you know, and you got it. And you don't just throw up your hands and panic. Yeah. You do what, yeah. what you can do. Yeah. So you I, keep doing it until you just can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. And which is how you've lived your life, I th think. This is how I live my life. Yeah. Which causes me to think sometimes that I got sent to the wrong planet, but <laughs> but in any case, that's who I am. So. Yeah. I think I am learning to do that mm -hmm. uh, in my own way, um, trying to 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 develop coping strategies. Right. I think for me, it's not like thinking ahead. But then having these strategies in my pocket that you can pull out exactly and say, hey, this is not feeling right. This is not kind of, you know, working out. And how am I going to cope with it? And, and what right. is, you know, what, what does it look like for, for uh, me to... Um, go through this experience and, and not really get over it. Because I think when trauma happens, I remember somebody was asking you one time over dinner, um, you know, how, how did you get over your, your traumatic event? Mm -hmm. and, and we thought about it for a while and we said, you don't get over these things. You know, right. trauma stays with you and it becomes part of your life. And, and it sits with you and it informs you and, and it becomes part of your body, part of your thinking and part of your attitude about how you live uh, and behave and communicate and, um, and, and after a hundred years, I think we can see how it has worked for us. Right. And we can really uh, sort of be a little more objective about it. Right. Um, High five to that. <laughs> um, not that, you know, not that things don't get people down and, and that being down and, and giving yourself time to grieve, I think is also very important. Um, and having the community and family and friends to do it with, um, it, it, it makes, makes all the difference. I think my parents told me um, I had to go to school. Um, I didn't see a single disabled child, uh, although I'm sure that there must be other kids in the town who were you know, unable to you know, have a regular kid's life. Uh, I didn't see them. Uh, my dad said I had to go to school and, and everything was kind of done so that I could go to school. Uh, school, college, university, I honestly didn't meet a single disabled person. Uh, uh, 
but my family was extremely supportive, has been extremely supportive of, of my decisions and my uh, need for independence. And um, I, think, I think that that is the reason I'm here. Uh, absolutely. That's the reason I, I'm here. I have tremendous respect for your family, yeah. es especially your dad. Yeah. I think is just a, an exceptional human being. Um, I think. I think my extended family and my siblings, my cousins, uh, were all really part of my growing up, and uh, it's growing up not just as an older person, but growing up into a person who really values um, connection. Um, being an immigrant, I think, also uh, adds to that. Um, and somehow I believe that if I wasn't disabled and you weren't disabled, we wouldn't be together. <laughs> That's although certainly true. We would have know, probably never met. We would have never met. <laughs> and we would have not even really wanting to, wanted to talk yeah. to each other. You know, um, the universe provides in strange ways. The universe does. Um, I think that's, that's good fodder for another episode. Uh, uh, this is a good point to end. Uh, right. I would do just, you have anything else to say? Right. I want to throw out one more thing. I'm very, very thankful uh, that what happened to me was totally my fault. Ah. The belayer, you know, was not his responsibility to make sure that he was on belay before I decided to leave. Yeah. It was my responsibility to make sure that he was on belay before I decided to leave. Mm. And he, you know, like, like me at the time, uh, 23, you think you're a really big person, but you're still a kid in many ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, like me, I, as I say, I think this might have been the first time he was really up on a big rock. Yeah. And... Uh, but not it wasn't his fault and mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for that because I know people who've got other people to blame yeah and and that's a very hard thing to get past yeah and I kind of want to congratulate you because you don't have a specific person to blame but you know why did this happen to you and oh, that's a lot interesting. Of, a, lot of yeah. people, a lot of people never manage to get past that. Yeah, I think I, think I have been asked by somebody um, who I knew as a kid, uh, and then I met her later in life, and she said, did you ever say, why me? And I was like, that's never occurred to me, because somehow uh, life is random, science is real, <laughs> viruses are real, and why not? Yeah. Um, right. Not that I'm happy about the situation, but it's gonna happen to people, and, right. and that you're one of the people it happened to. Um, so, well, I honestly am very thankful I've never said why not, why, why me? Oh, oh, I'm very thankful you haven't either, because yeah. I've seen people yeah. I just can't get past it. Uh-huh.
Well, sweetie, you you artist. I think your job in life is to open up boxes. Yeah. <laughs> You've opened up what for us is a gigantic box, which I don't think we're anywhere near the end. And I'm really glad you started this. We'll keep talking about it. We'll keep talking. Yeah. Well, I want to thank all our listeners and. We have received many wonderful messages about our first episode, uh, encouraging us. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us with questions or comments, uh, please write to hidershonu at gmail.com. Uh, we welcome suggestions for future episodes. <laughs> and we uh, want to say that we are with you during this strange time in our lives, in our, in our earth. And we, uh, we, welcome, um, we welcome any thoughts you might have. Um, thank you all. Namaste. Namaste. Be good to one another.